0: and welcome to Westside Unscripted. This is the podcast where the pastors loosen their ties, throw away their notes, and answer questions about all things theology and culture. I am Josh Bartels, assistant to the pastors here at Westside Baptist Church, and I'm joined as always by our preaching pastor, Peter Montoro. And uh, so today we're going to get into Leviticus here in just a minute, but before we do, Peter, what is uh, maybe something you've been reading recently that you've found helpful or insightful, something you'd like to share with folks?
1: Yeah, well, I'm doing a lot of reading, prepping for entry retreat. That's kind of been what I've been focusing on, at least in my reading time at church. And there's two quotes I came across that I thought was thought were good. Uh, one is just talking about service, um, and it's uh, "Do not thrust yourself in your service on anyone. Do not be sad that your talents are not being used. Be helpful." And then this was the part that I thought was particularly good. Serve where needed and not where you think you are needed. Now, of course, those two, as Josh pointed out to me uh, when I first shared the quote with him, those two could overlap. It could be that where you are needed uh, is also where you want to serve. But sometimes we can have this vision of ourselves as this is my spiritual gift. This is where I want to serve. And then rather than looking for what area is help needed and allowing our desires and our aspirations to be shaped by the needs of our community, we go looking for a community <laughs> that needs what we want to do. And so in that sense, that really is, you know, it really is backwards from from a communal standpoint that we we should look at the community that we're already a part of, and we should see what needs does that community have And where is there overlap with what I can do, even if it may not be my first choice, and it may be someone else who come along later on, you know, that can, and we can get to doing something else. But really, and this is something I've seen in my own life over and over again, that, you know, our, our service should be shaped by the needs, not the, you know, finding a community that matches. Here's what I have to contribute, because this is the only thing that I'll do. Um, And the second quote is likened to the first, it's from a different book, um, and this one is from a book called Man of the House, a handbook for building a shelter that will last in a world that is falling apart uh, by C.R. Wiley. And I uh, don't necessarily agree with everything in the book. That probably goes for just about every book except for the Bible. Um, and I probably get enough of the Bible wrong, that I, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's things I ought to agree with that I've misunderstood. But, you know, I, I believe that I agree with everything in scripture. I try to. Um, but anyways, this book is good. We're going to probably get, get it for our bookstore at some point. But he has this this quote, in a world that changes rapidly where people move around too much and are too slow to settle down, where anonymity is the norm and movement is mistaken for progress, communities need more sticks in the mud. I just praise the Lord for that. I just, you know, found personal inspiration <laughs> just, from this quote. <laughs> what non-committal types learn too late is that genuine freedom is more a matter of agency than choice. And agency comes with staying put and getting to know people. And also I would tie it, the first quote was from another book, but I would tie the two together that it's as you commit to the needs that are there, that you really gain the the investment that gives you a voice into the direction of the community as a whole. Um, and sometimes if you just come with ideas and not investment, you don't have the opportunity to see those ideas come to fruition. Um, but when you come with both, then you're able to, you know, both meet the needs that are there, and then help shape the direction of the long haul. So I just thought that was helpful. And I uh, wanted to share that.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Well, I, I uh, really enjoy the Man of the House book. I've read that one and found it very helpful.
1: And you got you got my copy. Uh, you got my copy and in, in, inscribed for me because he he was here.
0: I did. He was just recently in Bremerton, actually, and so I got to take it and get it inscribed for Peter, and got uh, my own copies inscribed. So yeah, it's it's.
1: Uh... I was too busy getting ready for men to retreat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, so so our question today, what we're going to get into, is coming from the book of Exodus. So, we are going... Exodus or Leviticus? Or Leviticus, sorry. It's coming from the book of Levit- Leviticus. And I'm going to read a verse for you. And then we're going to ask you just basically what it means. So, here we go. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 27. You shall not round the corners of your heads, neither shalt thou mar the corners of thy beard. So, the question is, what part of God's holiness did the prohibition to not mar the corner of your beards actually cover? What What's... Uh, What's this supposed? What's this supposed to teach us about God, about holiness, about personal piety? What's the What's this text trying to do?
1: Yeah, well, I would I would pull out. I I, look, I looked at the text here. Um, so it's nineteen twenty seven, and I would pull back to verse twenty six. And uh, so I think twenty six and twenty eight help make the the context clearer. You shall not eat anything with the blood. Neither shall you use enchantment nor observe times. You shall not round the corners of your heads, neither shall thou mar the corners of thy beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. Um, And I think the the context of these things, the one thing they all have in common is they all are. We don't know um, exactly necessarily, at least I don't know off the top of my head, uh, what each of these pagan practices might refer to. And I think in some cases, because I did some work on Leviticus academically a, a little bit ago, and I don't think it's necessarily known by anyone with certainty what all these practices refer to. But the ones that we do know something about, you know, so eating with the blood, that's well known as a magical practice, a pa- pagan ritual, using enchantment, observing times. Um, so that would be most likely, I, I would guess that'd be astrology and, you know, astrology and witchcraft. Um, and then cuttings, cuttings the in flesh, your flesh for the, the head, dead, head. Yeah. you know, so you wouldn't, you know, if you just took that, and that's why I'd be hesitant, so, you know, I think there are lots of prudential reasons not to get a tattoo. I don't know if this would be, so, you know, so I, I, I'm not by any means endorsing or recommending that anyone get a tattoo, but I, I think you could take some of these things out of context, like, you know, you should have a square the point is not beard styles or tattoos or any of those things. The point is, what are the things that pagans do? And how can you live your life in a way that differentiates you from the pagans? Um, so what are the things that are, you know, religious rituals? Um, and so I think analogously in our day, we'd want to look and we'd want to see, you know, what are the, what are the things that uh, pagans do? And not that anything that a pagan does, therefore we absolutely can't do it, but, you know, considering the symbolic va- symbolic, um, symbolic value of the actions that we take. Um, so that's how I would apply it, you know, without digging into it really deep, but I, I think that's probably what's going on in the text.
0: So then should we be thinking, when, when you say not anything that the pagans do, you're speaking specifically of pagan worship, not not necessarily every part of life, but any part of life that reflects a worship of a false god. Is that yes. What, exactly. Is that what you're yeah. Ex- right, exactly.
1: Right. You, you, you know, but it's not just necessarily religious things. In that, you know, there would probably be a distinction between, you know, observing times or taking enchantments or, you know, pagan funeral practices. But it's those practices that, that relate specifically to a false belief um, and relate to idolatry. So it's those connections. And really, you know, in the New Testament, this gets to be offered to idols of. You know, it's not that the meat is anything or the wine is anything or these things are anything, but it's what connections are we, what are we connecting ourselves to? So, you know, getting that boundary between, um, you know, doing things that be unhealthy and even connect us to demons, Paul says, you you know, you can't eat at the table of demons and the table of the Lord, you know, so they were, some Corinthians felt liberated to go to a pagan temple and eat, you know... (laughs) dig into the sacrifices, because if they didn't, you know, they would lose status in society. Um, and Paul said, no, 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 don't do that. And other people felt like, well, you know, I can eat whatever meat that I, you, you, you know, I can't eat meat at all. If if the pagans eat, you know, eat meat, if the meat is even possibly, if someone might think that it sacrificed to idols, then I can't, um, you know, I can't have any, so I'm just going to be, you know, a vegetarian. Um, and Paul certainly said, you know, if that's your conscience before God, you should practice that. But that wasn't what he practiced or what he taught. But sort of steering the... <laughs> You know, steering in, be, in between those that there could be even in our, even in our day, forms of attire or um, forms of, of practice that would so associate in, in our own minds or in the minds of others to cause them to stumble with pagan practices or ungodly practices that we need to avoid them so that we're set apart from the world. Um,
0: One of the things that has been difficult for me in sorting out this kind of question. for instance i've been to india and the battle between the gods is out in the open there is explicit explicit worship of another deity and you're coming in and saying no we don't worship your god we worship the lord jesus christ we have a very clear differentiation between us and them in the in a secular environment like ours the battle of the gods is acts as if there's no such thing as the gods and so secularism is its own form of worship but it worships nothing or doesn't have you know an ex- a deity that it's necess- look that it's bowing down to it doesn't seem to have the explicit temple that you can kind of challenge so how do we interpret the symbolism of pagan worship in a secular context what what would how, how do you start like trying to think about that in this
1: yeah that is a challenging question it's one that's becoming a lot easier um, That's true. <laughs> so, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, I'll be talking about in Mendry Tweet that, you know, the the changes of, of say, you know, from a nominal Christian, Christianity that was really like, you know, 10% Christianity and 90% in Americanism um, to, you know, where that Americanism is now anti-Christian in many places, um, that does clarify the boundary lines. So, in, in some ways, it's going to make things easier. Um, not that it's, you know, there's still challenges, but, you know, it is becoming
0: yeah the, the lines of demarcation are becoming drawn a little more clearly so than they think, than they were before yeah. but they're
1: still not as clear as as they would be say in india yeah, um right. at least where i start is what are the good things that god is calling me to do in any in any situation or god is calling us as his people to do so what is the good that we're aimed at and what are the things that hinder That good? What are the things that would, what are the things that have a high symbolic value that are pushing us away, or even actions, you know, that are um, pulling us away from the good that we ought to be aimed at? So I think, you know, one, um, I think a lot about the impact that our technological society has on what it means to live as a faithful human being, an image, you know, bear of Christ, that we worship prosperity. Um, and so I think a similar sort of thing um, is our culture is obsessed with the two-income household as a a type of, uh, you know, the household of consumption that we have to give all of these things to our children. They have to have, you know, if we have children at all, you know, which sometimes if you wait too long to get married, you don't end up having children um, because you've prioritized having a career. and And so that kind of... Mindset where you know the parents will both go to work, uh, and they'll give their children to daycare. Then they'll give their children to a public school, and then they'll give their children to a state college. Um, and the aim of the life is to reach a certain level in the economic status where your life is lived. Um, you know, because in the in the pagan world, life is lived to ward off demonic powers. Like that is that is the in a in a it, like the Canaanite religion or an animistic animistic place like like India. Like you are you're trying to ward off these powers these evil powers that are going to affect you so you do the things you know you you make the marks on your flesh you offer the you know you you observe the times you do whatever it is to avoid you know the evil eye or to avoid you know the bad gods that would want to hurt you to sort of ward off harm from harmful spiritual forces so that's the goal of life and so everything is you, these are all these things that would indicate a belief in these harmful spiritual forces, so it's not about how you shave your beard, right. and it's not about right. you know whether you make cuts on your flesh or whatever. That's not you know because it's not prohibiting surgery, for instance. Like that's not the point. You know the point is you're living in a way that assigns power and reality and authority to these spiritual beings that God hasn't assigned them. Like their you know worship and honor and everything belongs to God alone. Um, and so you're living in a way that distorts the mission we've been given as human beings. And, I, you know, going back to our economic order, our economic order and the priorities when people live in a way as though reaching a certain level of economic prosperity is the highest good. And they make decisions that only make sense in terms of... Um, you know, and it's not like, you know, an absolute, you know, women should never work or anything like that. There's a, that's not the point. But the point is when we live in a way in which we assign priority to the God of mammon, which is the God of our society, the God of mammon, the God of pleasure, you know, when we live for pleasure, and we devote, you know, all of our attention and our effort to achieving maximum pleasure, um, or maximum enjoyment, or we're like, you know, the ultimate super, you know, where people, you know, live for their sports team and they're like the ultimate super fan, you know, that that is the good of their life, um, that those are practices that are analogous to the sorts of things. It's like, what are people afraid of? What do they value? What are they trying to accomplish? Um, and if those, those goals aren't compatible with Christianity, aren't compatible with a biblical worldview, then we could be doing pagan type things without ever intending to do it. Um, and as long as society accepts Christianity in face value, as long as we, you know, then it can be hard to see the difference, you know, but when, you know, b- biblical sexual ethics has become a major breakpoint that if you ascribe to, you know, what Leviticus says about homosexuality, for instance, um, then, you know, you are immoral in the eyes of many in our society and most of the elites that would control society. I mean, so that's becoming a, a demarcating status that you can't sort of have Jesus and have the world too, uh, because, you know, if you have that part of what Jesus has to say in in the word, then you are, you know, not acceptable in polite society, as it were.
0: Yeah, And it seems as if, na- it's not that in the past there have not been faithful Christians under an America that saw Christianity as good. It's just that now we have more opportunities to have that Christianity tested where the the metal mm. right like is is that how you would see it that now now as the financial question is pressed upon you as a Christian because there there could be there seem to be situations where uh, holding to a biblical sexual ethic is costing people livelihoods mm-hmm. that now you actually have the chance to demonstrate which God you worship because the 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 test has come to your doorstep
1: exactly yeah ex- exactly like if you know so you know I've never I've never been tempted, you know, to round the corners of my beard for a pagan practice to gain power or whatever, whatever exactly, that, exactly what that means. I've never been tempted to do that. I'm not even completely sure what it means. Like, you know, but, um, you know, in a similar way, you know, people haven't been tempted to explicitly deny Christ because there really hasn't been anything that would push them to do that, you know, because morality was popular in a way. But now that there's more points of clear demarcation, the faithfulness was needed all along. It just was in more subtle ways. Right. Yeah. Um, and now it's it's getting a lot more like yes or no, you know, rather than, you know, so it was hard to, do, the motivation always should have been for faithfulness to Christ. But when society and Christ demand the same thing, it's hard to know even yourself, which you're really following. Yeah. And now that's going to become a lot clearer um, yep. and that's just right. a lot more straightforward.
0: When it comes to trying to, become sticks in the mud that are stuck, that are, that are rooted in a society and that are not just rooted in a community, but are rooted in Christ and faithful mm-hmm. through this kind of time. Uh, maybe instead of a recommendation about something to read on this topic, what would, what would be the kind of practice or maybe even it is something to read that would be helpful in kind of building that resilience to stand and be the good, good old stick in the stick in the mud, you know, that we need to be right now.
1: I know this is going to come sound shocking coming from a pastor, but <laughs> there really isn't a replacement for faithful church. I wouldn't say attendance, church participation, because you can attend and just be there. But if you're there as a part of, you know, coming to worship God and preparing to worship God, and you're there preparing not just to worship God and have an experience with God, but preparing to invest in other people in the community, and you're reading the scriptures throughout the week, and you're there at Neighborhood Fellowship, like, you know, I really have seen very, very few people just, you know, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, and so I've worked at a few churches, you know, so over the years, like, from the time I can remember, this has been something I've been observing. And I've seen very few people that were engaged in those practices fall off the rails in their Christian life. And I've seen lots of people who, you know, just talking about reading the Bible and prayer again, talking about coming to church again. And And yet, I've seen some of those same people who complained about that fall off the rails precisely because they weren't doing that. Um, And so it's kind of like, you you know, nutrition and exercise may be boring, but if you want to have a healthy body, that's really what it comes down to, barring any major, you know, terrible tragedy, you know, if you want to have health. You're gonna you're gonna watch what you take in, and you're going to you know increase what you put out, and and be careful of those things. And I, I think the same thing is like it really isn't that complicated. There isn't mystery to it. I mean, there is a mystery to the spirit working, but the spirit works through boring, ordinary means of just you know putting. Uh, you know, Doug Wilson has a phrase, "productivity," about getting stuff done, and I think that same principle. Uh, applies to the um the christian life that you know h- however you turn that into a phrase about fruit that is sort of like you know you dig <laughs> you dig the plow you plant the seed you dig the plow you plant the seed and you get a harvest and the harvest grows you know over time um, and
0: multiply that over the weeks of your life and the days and then suddenly that's a lot of a lot of time put into it
1: yeah, and one writer, one writer had a, a about discipleship a phrase, a long obedience in the same direction, and you just drive the furrow in, and you drive the furrow in, and you drive the furrow in. You go through dry spells, and you keep going, and you go through you know spells of crazy, you know tremendous excitement, um, and maybe you make the furrow a little bit longer, but you don't you know abandon the furrow you've been working on and go spin off somewhere else and start all over again. But you just you commit and you dig in and 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 you you invest and you know. Over time, it creates community It unites you to other people and it unites you to Christ and the community that he's building. And that really, you know, if we're going to stand in this season, it's not going to be because we came up with a bunch of brand new ideas, but because we committed ourselves to the roots that we should have been committing to from the beginning.
0: Yeah, that's good. Given the question that we had today, I would be amiss not to lump in another question that was submitted by a viewer. And that is, why don't you have a beard? Why don't I have a
1: beard? Because my wife does not like beards. There's the answer.
0: For those of you who are wanting to know, there's the answer. Now we know (laughs) the question that we've had submitted multiple times. Ah. No, not really. There's only one person that submitted that. But now we know. If uh, you would like to hear more of Pastor Peter's preaching and teaching... (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) I, I, I
1: have a question for you, Josh. Oh,
0: okay, okay.
1: You said this question was submitted by a viewer.
0: Sorry. Oh, yeah.
1: I don't see a camera. Is this a secret camera you have in here? Cause...
0: There, there's a secret YouTube channel. If you email me, I'll send you the channel. I see. Yeah, yeah, and then you'll be able to see that Pastor Peter truly is not bearded and that we're not just making up a good story. For now, Brother podcast. Josh has
1: an amazing beard.
0: I do have a beard. I don't know about its amazingness, but it's here. So, if you want, to, though, don't to, round the
1: corners of it, or mar the corners. I'll, I'll do of my best not, not to. to do? You're not mar the, to, corners, mar yeah, no the corners. Yeah, don't mar the corners of your beard.
0: I will. I will let the corners be sharp and strong, in the name of uh, Levitical practices.
1: So, I'm, not, I'm I'm pretty sure that's not what Leviticus is talking about, but we'll just do it just in case. <laughs> yeah,
0: for sure. Well, this has been West Side Unscripted. If you'd like to hear uh, preaching and teaching from Pastor Peter and the other people in the church. Uh, go to our podcast, Bible Direction for Life, and subscribe to that for regular preaching and teaching. Otherwise, we will see you or be with you again next week for Westside Unscripted and uh, talk about more things related to theology and culture.
1: Until next time.